Walter's Year of Wonder. June. Nice to have you back with me again. Please, sit down. Relax with me a while. Isn't it great, the sun being up so late into the evening? I love this time of year. The heat of June is kind, and the days are overflowing with light. The white roses and orange tiger lilies in my garden compete for my attention, along with the heady lavender laden with bees, but... The day's length provides ample opportunity to admire them all. We're headed for the longest day of the year, Midsummer's Day, when the silent darkness of night is minimal and time feels motionless. Though, of course, it probably isn't. I remember sitting in the bathroom. Yes, as it happens, in the peace of that room in our house. It was the start of the summer holiday, mid-June, and as usual, the return to school was as far away as the horizon on Lake Huron, and the days were like the little fishes you saw when you waded in up to your knees, plentiful, too many to count, too many to catch as they slipped through your fingers. But on this occasion, and for the first summer I could recall, as I sat there, September didn't feel so far away on the horizon as it usually did. Maybe it was due to me being older, transitioning into what would be my freshman year at high school. But whatever the cause, I was sitting there, looking at my hands, thinking that although the days of summer spread before me with the illusion of eternity, I would be sitting in the same bathroom come September, looking at these same hands, getting ready to catch the bus to school once more my hands started to tremble. I could hear the breath flow out of my nostrils, then back up again. Where was I? I mean, not like in the bathroom where, but where was I in time? Would this me sitting here in June be the same me sitting come September or at any time of the year? I didn't know if it was me that was changing or time. We'd done a project at school at the end of the year about the equinoxes and solstices, the longest day, the summer solstice. That day had stuck with me. It seemed like a special day, different to the others. If anywhere held the secret to time, that day just might. So I made a decision. I would get up before dawn on the solstice, go to Holly's Ridge, and watch the sunrise over the lake, and I'd stay there all day, and then watch the sunset over the fields in the faraway west. Surely if I saw a whole day come and go, I would learn something of what time was. Why did you say that you wanted to go and watch the sunrise tomorrow for again? My dad said a few minutes after I had explained my reasons for wanting to see the sun come and go on Midsummer's Day. I just thought, you know, that, that, and my words drifted away. I wasn't precisely sure why I wanted to go, let alone explain it to anyone. I just knew 
I had to go. I don't want you tired for the day after, my mother said. I'm part of our group setting up the cooking stall for the county fair. And don't forget, you said you'd help me like last year, remember? I don't want you exhausted for that. I'll be fine, I said, avoiding the fact that uh, I had forgotten. And remember, Grandma's coming for dinner on that day, Dad said, referring to his aunt, who we called Grandma on account of all my real grandparents being gone before I was born. Fine, I thought. I can juggle all that and still see the sun rise and set. I sat down. Mom cooked bacon. Dad tried to fix a part of his boot that was flapping. And my sister Jackie practiced her flute upstairs. They were busy using time. Me? I was stuck in it, wondering if time was really there at all. That evening before bed, I tested my alarm clock. It sometimes ran a little slow, and often where you set the small alarm hand, well, the bell would ring several minutes after you thought it should have. Hell, this clock understood time about as well as I did. I was staring at the clock face when Jackie entered my room. Mom and Dad told me what you wanted to do. You still going to actually do it? She said. I nodded, knowing that Jackie would not tell anyone. How are you going to get there? On my bike, I said. It's steep, and it will be dark. Take the front light off my bike if you want, she said, turning to say, you nutty boy, as she left. I wanted to stop her and bring her back in, tell her the reasons why I was going. Maybe I wanted her to come with me. But I didn't talk with her. It was my thing I had to do. But at least I now discerned that I had to be a little prepared about it. For some reason, I hadn't even thought of it being dark that early. As I was getting ready for bed, the night tardy and lowering its cover, my dad stopped by. Maybe one day late in the summer we all get up early and see the sun, he said. Yeah, maybe, I guess, I said, just to get him out of my hair. But I couldn't wait for one day later in the summer. I'd made a pledge with the summer solstice, and I was going to bust open its secrets and find out what this time business was all about. I was midway through a dream about someone asking me to dance in a field of roses when the alarm bell on my clock had me sit straight up in bed and try to silence it like I was swatting a wasp about to sting me. The luminous hands and numbers, high-tech for the early 70s, told me it was nearly 5 a.m. I got ready, shorts and t-shirt as I reckoned the riding would warm me, and left the house as quiet as I could. I didn't want to wake anyone and have them annoyed and question me again about what I was doing as I felt so tired, it would have not taken much to convince me that maybe I should go back to bed. I'd forgotten about getting any food, and my belly was already reminding me that it should be breakfast after I got out of bed, but I ignored it. I'd make too much noise, and plus, there just wasn't time. You know, time. 
that thing I was chasing. I retrieved my bike from the shed, first remembering to switch Jackie's front light from her bike to mine, and set off in near blackness for Holly's Ridge, which was some two and a bit miles from her house. After a few hundred yards, I left the road our house was on. A strange feeling rose up from my feet and moved through me until it reached my head. I felt it continue up and out of me into the sky, which was still very dark. And then I proceeded on my way. Jackie's light was not strong enough to change the monochrome flowers and grasses which bore up silently as I sped past them, the tires spitting out dust and gravel on the dirt road, making the only sound there was. No breeze rustled the plentiful leaves on the trees, and the absence of birdsong was unnerving. I stopped, dismounted my bike, not entirely sure as to why, Everything around me was totally still. No cars on early morning errands, nor lights that signaled waking in the occasional house I rode past. In the distance, on a faraway farm, did I think I saw signs of life flickering? There was nothing for certain. I was alone, and that feeling came again, up from my feet and out my skull a deep pulse that excited yet unsettled me. I took a breath then held it. All was deathly quiet. A chill inched its way through me. Dawn was coming and I was not yet at our meeting place. I hopped back on my bike and pedaled like a madman. At the base of Holly's Ridge, I switched the gears, of which there were the grand total of three, and pressed on, up the incline, the muscles in my legs complaining more and more. Jackie was right. It was steep, and my thighs burned. But that wasn't all. The summer's growth of shrubs and branches encroached upon the trail the further up I went, until riding the bike was useless. I threw it down, the pedal scraping my calf. The combination of ground cover and near darkness made running near impossible, with every other step getting caught or slipping, but I pushed on, even harder. Ahead, I could make the outline of the crest through the last of the bushes, but that chill inched deeper into me, and despite my sweat, I was cold. The sky seemed darker than it had ever been when I finally stood at the top of Holly's Ridge. I looked out over the expanse of the deep, dark lake to see a pinprick of white light pierce the darkness and greet me. It was as if I had been expected that today had been prepared just for me and as an amber band of sunlight spread along the horizon, I shook. My chest rapidly rose and fell, but as soon as I noticed it, I lengthened my breath and the heaving of my lungs steadied. With every passing moment, the light increased, spilling onto the lake, spraying pink ribbons left and right where the water met the sky. Then turquoise 
azure streaked with yellow and bursting cherry reds that played together in a perfect dance performed for me. I tried to smile, but my lips trembled, the salt tang on my tongue alerting me to tears running down my cheeks. I stared in a stupor, becoming increasingly aware of the absence of time. I couldn't move, stuck to the spot, as if taking a step would break all that I had run to the top of the ridge to see. The sun continued to climb, feeding the landscape with light, flooding it with color. The world revealed to me for the very first time I was the sunrise. I was the beginning of time. In my silent revelry, I noticed that it was no longer silent. Birds had joined in the morning's advent, their songs sweet and abundant. The smell, the earth, verdant and moist, filled my senses. In the moments that followed, the day opened rapidly and the darkness before dawn fled like a forgotten dream. I looked around. Geese flew above and rabbits searched the sunlit fields. Then out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement of a larger kind. A young man, or boy, headed my way, fishing pole slung over his back. His movements seemed perfect, orchestrated by the morning light, as if they were always going to happen. I had not moved by the time he stood a few feet away, looking at me. I knew I was smiling. There was no need for words. Well, not from me, anyway. And it was the new arrival who broke the silence. Hey, Walt, what are you doing out here so early? I said nothing. Wasn't it obvious? The day had broken just for me, freed from the constraints of time. And here I was revealed anew as the scene before me. That's what I was doing out here. Are you okay? The boy asked. When I said nothing for the second time, he pushed at my shoulder. Not enough to hurt, but enough to let me know he was there. Speak for Christ's sake, Walt. You got blood running down your leg, he said, yelling close to my face and snapping me out of my haze. I recognized him. It was Boney Tony, a teen closer to my sister's age, but someone I knew well enough. I was just out here looking, I said, pointing to the lake, now shimmering with sunlight all the way to shore. Yeah, <laughs> nice lake, I, I guess, Tony said. I looked down, and indeed blood was trickling down my leg from a one-inch gash that must have been caused by the edge of the pedal when I threw my bike down. Tony put down his fishing tackle box, opened it, and removed a cloth that I used to clean my leg. Then we both sat down, looked eastwards. The sunrise was amazing, I said, attempting to convey something of what I'd just gone through. You want to come fishing? said Tony paying little attention to me and fiddling with the hook on the end of one of his fishing rods. I'm stopping by my cousins for breakfast, then we're off to Lucky's Pond, he added. Breakfast? 
Oh, my stomach heard that loud and clear. Before I could stop myself, I'd agreed, and we were headed down the other side of Holly's Ridge, collecting my bike on the way before I could stop myself from ruining the plans I'd made for staying up on the hill all day. After stopping at Tony's cousin's house and having some bacon, eggs, and homemade pancakes, a wave of tiredness came over me. I declined the offer to go fishing, made my excuses, and thanked him for breakfast, and returned to my aim of staying put on the ridge as long as possible, and experienced time as it passed. But I was worried that the feeling that had infused me at daybreak would fade. On my way back to the bridge, my bike decided to mess with me as well by developing a flat front tire. Going to Tony's cousins had already taken me out of my way, so I figured if I went home I could at least fix my tire, or better than that, use Henry's bike, as my older brother never used it, even when he was back from college in the summer. As I pushed my bike along the road to our house, breaking into a short run the best I could, who should meet me on the road but Dad in his battered pickup truck? See you decided to get up early anyway, he said. Now get in. Before I could protest, he said something about a friend of his needing help moving some air conditioning units, and he wanted my assistance. I clenched my teeth as we drove. The morning had all but gone, and now this situation was taking me even further from my destination in space and time. I helped Dad the best I could, but it took such a long time, and instead of dropping me near the ridge, we went into Huron City to collect some groceries, despite my requests to the contrary. You sure have been quiet, said my dad when we arrived back. You okay? I'm going back to the ridge, I said. Oh no, not right now. Remember, Grandma's coming to dinner. I slammed the pickup door and went to my room, looking out my window at the sun. Was it now coming down, making its descent to the night and taking time with it as it left me? I continued to watch it, and the more I did, the more it stayed still. I knew it was due to the slowness of its movement, like the hour hand of a clock when you try to catch it moving. And for the first time since the sunrise, I was without time once more. Just me and the sun sharing our secret. Downstairs, I could hear the sounds of my family moving around and then the familiar noises of dinner starting in the kitchen. My sister and mother talked and now and again a cupboard shut and the low tone of my dad chiming in. I looked at my hands, just like before, in the bathroom. I was here. Had I always been here? Not in this house, but here, aware of being in time. I was silent, watching the sky, the vast, pale blue, streaked with tissue paper clouds. I was alone, but I could go downstairs and be with people, 
like I had been with Boney Tony or helping my dad with the air conditioning. I could be all these things. They were all parts I could play alone, together, happy, sad, night, day. It was all me. Just me. Henry's car arrived bringing Grandma, and soon I had to go sit with the others and have dinner. But outside, the sun still called. It hadn't forgotten our evening rendezvous, and neither did I. My grandma could tell I was antsy throughout the meal, and my dad piped in to tell her what my plans had been for the day and what I had already done despite their wishes. And you managed to get up early so you could do this on Midsummer's Day, she said. I nodded. You'll still have enough time to get there after dinner. You don't have to stay and entertain me, she said as she smiled. I don't want you tired for tomorrow, my mother began before Grandma spoke again. He's young. It's the summer. He's got plans of his own as well. After dessert, I grabbed a light jacket, aware now it would be colder when the sun went down, and excused myself from the gathering. Remember to tell me all about it, my grandma said as I left. I'd forgotten my tire was flat, so I did take Henry's bike, figuring he wouldn't need it, and not really caring if he did anyway. My tired body found its way to Holly's Ridge, and this time I lay the bike down carefully and walked the overgrown end of the trail to the top. The lake was darkening, but this time it was to the west I turned. And there it was, the sun, heading towards the horizon of fields, turning the sky a mottled orange and cobalt blue as the yellow of the orb diminished with each passing minute. But instead of feeling like the movement of the sun was just for me, like I had that morning, I knew it was off to perform the dance of sunrise for someone else, and I was no longer one with it. It was stuck, traveling through time, and I was not. I was alone, and I was here, perfectly still, my hands no longer trembling, while time moved around me. A crescent moon nestled in the sky as the sun took its final farewell, sucking what remained of the light under a dark gray curtain. Once darkness was complete, I made my way home, without haste. Mom and Dad were watching TV, my sister talking on the phone to a friend, and Henry had stayed out after dropping Grandma back. I sat on the porch, feeling like I had a secret, one I didn't know how to share. So I never tried, until, well, until now, I guess. As the rest of the summer passed by, I went to see the sunrise on several more occasions. Jackie came with me once, and on a couple of mornings, I met up with Boney Tony to go fishing, after having some breakfast, of course. But it wasn't like the occasion I went alone to Holly's Ridge, when I decided to discover time, only to find that it was all now just a memory. Time 
is what has already happened. Yes, a memory. That's where time was. The future had no time, as it never comes. It's just a dream. And as for now, well, now is now. As the holidays came to a close, the sunsets came and went until it was time to go back to school. And instead of stretching out before me, the summer holidays were now just a memory. And I sat in the bathroom once more, the same me looking at my hands, free of the constraints of time. And speaking of sunsets, tonight's is upon us. And I don't want you driving at twilight if you don't need to or become distracted as you try to catch time amid the beautiful colors as the day leaves for good. Enjoy the rest of June with its dominant days that pay scant regard to the night. Time is at an end, and it can be forever summer, if we choose it to be. I'll see you again, I'm sure. Take care now. Listening to Marty Garavaglia as Uncle Walter. The show was written and produced by Daniel Williams. Uncle Walter's Year of Wonder is a Huron City radio show for Albion Fields Productions.